Hi, and welcome back to the Black and White Podcast, where we seek to filter the gray world around us through God's Word with radical grace, raw truth, and real hope. I'm Denise Pass, and I am with my friend and co-host, Angela Donadio, and we are so excited to have two special friends back with us this week on the podcast, Amy Carroll and Sherry Gregory. Welcome back to the show. Hi, we're glad to be here. Thanks so much for having us. Sure thing. Thank you for being here. It was so freeing to let go of who we are not last week. Now this week, we need to just not just accept who we are, but to love who we are, which will enable us to live our one life well for the glory of God. The scripture for today's episode is taken from 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You know, my natural bent is to be timid, and it has been such a challenge to rise out of that tendency and walk in the authority God has given us as children of God. But the principles you share in your book, Exhale, really can set people free. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And um, I I know it sounds like maybe arrogance to say it, but I know that's true. (laughs) And I know (laughs) it's true because I've lived it. Uh, Mm. It's crazy. But uh, the last year of my life has been complete chaos. And um, I am not a girl who likes chaos at all. But strangely, I made the choice to do a major home renovation while writing Exhale, Mm. (laughs) not really knowing what that would be like, which is chaos by definition. And then um, we already had the release date for Exhale and my youngest son, who was going to be graduating from college, announced that two weeks after graduation that he would be married. Mm -hmm. And then two weeks after the wedding would be the release of Exhale. (laughs) So it has been a crazy, (laughs) crazy year. And I actually had to confirm this with my husband to make sure that this was a true statement. But my usual MO in a setting like that is many, many meltdowns because I don't spin a lot of plates well. And I had plates out the wazoo spinning all the time. (laughs) And, um, and so, and I, but I did not have a single major meltdown this year. Now I had some, I had some moments, but I really think that writing exhale was weaving this into my DNA. God was using it (laughs) in my life. Mm. And it really did set me free from so many things that would have caused those meltdowns in the past. And so I know that women can be set free because I feel like I'm experiencing so much freedom. I love that. And thank you for sharing that, Amy. I follow you on Facebook and I've seen some of that. I'm like, how is this girl doing all of this? But that is so encouraging to our listeners that we don't just have to live meltdown to meltdown. I remember my Mm -hmm. piano teacher telling me once in college, you know, you don't have to live crisis to crisis. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you can get above that. And, Mm -hmm. and you give real, both of you give real practical ways to actually do that. And we're going to kind of discuss part two and three today. We won't have probably time to cover everything in the book, which is why you all need to get a copy because it's so great. But you do invite us at the beginning of session two to inhale, to take it all in and to love who we are. Sherry, in chapter eight, you talk about disappointing people and I'm intentionally kind of separating that. I know you'll expound on it and loving your limits. Can you talk a little bit about that, about those concepts for us? 
Yes, this was one of the hugest aha moments that I've had in the last few years. I was actually um, staying in a hotel the night before a women's retreat I was speaking at, and I was unable to go to sleep because I was really mad about a Facebook video I had just seen. And it was a an anti-bullying video. And I only saw like a few seconds of it. And the guy who was doing the teaching, he said, well, the, the way to deal with a, with a bully is to just just don't react you know, basically don't have a meltdown. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, goody, goody gumdrops for you. I'm so glad that's easy for some people, but <laughs> I'm a highly reactive kind of girl, you know, like mm -hmm. Amy and I share that this is a huge success when we aren't having meltdowns. Like that's, that's our bar. That's our measure of <laughs> how God is, is working. In our life. It was a good day. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, and it just, it just ate at me. And I'm like, so why is this bothering me so much? And I, I, um, I remember grabbing my cell phone and texting to myself that basically I felt like if so many people are learning how to just don't react, then somehow I've been giving too much authority to people. Mm. I have been somehow listening to their voices too much. And I'm like, I got to do something about it. Next morning I wake up and I realize I want, I want a word, you know, I'm a, I'm a, Amy and I are both kind of word nerds. I want a word that means taking authority away from people. I couldn't think of one long story mm. short that actually did involve me going to thesaurus.com. Thank you very much. <laughs> I finally found the word I needed and it totally gave me goosebumps because the word I found was a point. And I realized we have this negative way of saying uh, a point and that is to disappoint. Mm. And of course, the reason I got goosebumps is because as a people pleaser, the worst thing in the world for me is to disappoint the people I love. I've spent my entire mm. life trying not to disappoint people, to be all things to all people, to anticipate their needs, to be the, that problem preventer. And here I'm realizing the very thing I need to learn to do is disappoint people, by which I mean taking away authority. Maybe it's people who have taken authority over me and I need to reclaim it, or I need to stop handing authority over on a silver platter. And I was in the midst at that point of just kind of immersing in the story of the man born blind. And I realized what an amazing story he is of somebody who disappointed all the authorities in his life after he had had his encounter with Christ, like nobody else mattered to him. Once he had had this experience with Jesus, he disappointed the Pharisees, his neighbors, even his own parents. And it really boiled down to two things. When he, when he finally came face to face with Christ, it was Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And I thought, I can remember a list of two. I'm at that stage of life where three is too many, but I can remember, <laughs> I can remember a list of two. And, you know, some people have said, well, why is this whole thing of disappointing so important? And, you know, back to when I came up with this concept initially, or, or God gave me this concept, I literally went to that retreat. And on Sunday morning, I, sent, I told a group of 200 women, I want you to go home and disappoint your, your, your husbands and children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> And I'm like, I, I, now please still feed them, please still clothe them, but it, this is internal. This is not going home and saying, you know that party we were going to have, I've decided to cancel. That's not the point at all. Mm -hmm. But this is inside our heads that the child who's begging for something and saying, but you promised me this, mm. inside my head, I'm going to say, oh, but you don't have authority in my life. I'm not going to cave to you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make that fast, easy decision right now because the authority in my life is Christ and I have to mm. follow his direction, not your expectation, to quote up my friend Amy. Yeah. And really, it, the reason disappointing people is so important is because it combats the all things to all people syndrome. It helps us go through those appropriate 
appropriate and inappropriate expectations and put them in proper perspective and realize that there is one highest authority in our life and it is not a human being, it is God. Hmm, that is just so great. And there's like a million thoughts running through yeah. my mind. I just can't say them all, but just that was a very aha moment for me reading it. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm still processing what that looks like. But when we really understand what God's expectations of us are and live within the boundaries of that, we can love those limits. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to sometimes say we are limited people. We have limited amount of time and energy, but it's humility and it's wisdom to realize that. And then when I am spending time with God, like one of you said earlier, when we truly are getting the heart of God, then we can know this is what God has called me to do. Mm -hmm. And that set of expectations doesn't align with this. And it's so much easier than to step away from expectations that are not God's expectations where the good becomes enemy of best, Mm -hmm. you know, in those Mm -hmm. settings. So I love that. I think that's going to be a a, a process for me to really Mm -hmm. grasp a hold of that concept. But thank you for for giving us that um, insight so beautifully in that chapter. And Amy, I really related to your thoughts in chapter nine, where you talk about the first half of our lives, we wonder if we're enough. And the second half of our lives, we wonder (laughs) if we're too much. (laughs) I'm like, we cannot win. We're losing here. Can you share with us your heart a bit behind this chapter? Well, that quote came from my friend, Debbie Wilson, and I've just thought about it so much. You know, the first half of our lives where we think we're not old enough, we're not qualified enough, we're not educated enough, we're not whatever um, enough. And then the second half, which I have entered into, and we start thinking that we're too old, too over the hill, too Mm -hmm. irrelevant, too whatever. Um, And so we disqualify ourselves at both stages of our lives and how sad, and I've done it. And so when she said that, it just hit me as such truth. And so um, I want us to get past this point where we always feel disqualified. So many of us feel disqualified by our hard stories, things that have Mm -hmm. happened in our past or even currently in our lives that we just feel like, I can't serve God. I can't accomplish His purposes because of fill in the blank. Well, when I was getting ready for this chapter, God made me really study before every chapter, before I had anything to write. It was like he would say, okay, go here. And the story he gave me for this chapter was the story of the Canaanite woman. And I was like, God, I do not want that story because that is a hard story. And truthfully, it doesn't make you look so great. (laughs) And so... But the more I dove into Jesus's interaction with the Canaanite woman, the more I fell in love with Jesus and the more I just, it was just, I became enthralled with this story. So this Canaanite woman had several disqualifiers. She was a woman, which in that time and in that culture disqualified her. She was not, she couldn't be a, um, a witness in a court of law. They were mostly considered uneducable, even by the rabbis of the day. So being mm. a woman was a disqualifier at that time. Mm. She was a Gentile, which meant that she was outside of God's chosen people of Israel. And um, and so supposedly this is someplace that Jesus shouldn't have even been really. Mm. And she had a demon-possessed child. Now, we don't know exactly what that looks like. And I don't want to minimize or make light of that in any way. But if you have ever had a child who doesn't fit 
even who just doesn't fit, you know, you don't get invited to the playgroups. You, um, your kids might be playing alone on the playground, that kind of thing, which is so painful for a mother. So there are these three huge disqualifiers, but instead of letting those things keep her from Jesus, she allowed them to drive him, her to him. Mm -hmm. And she went to Jesus and asked for her child's healing. And she, someplace in there, if you start looking at the story, you're like, this woman had this incredible faith. And she had this faith about Jesus that Jesus is a feast thrower, not a crumb doler. And we could go mm. into the story and talk about where that came from, but we don't have time today. But look at that story. She believed that even the crumbs that Jesus could, would give her would be a feast her. And he rewarded her faith by healing her daughter. And so I think when we start looking at those things that we think have thought of as disqualifiers, as things that drive us to Jesus, that suddenly he makes those those things that, that we have been obstacles for us into something that's a feast for us, which is mm-hmm. so counterintuitive, but Jesus is like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, too, so often, you know, we all know in our weakness, He's strong, but really, that's where God gets the glory, because it's, look Mm -hmm. what He did with you. (laughs) 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 Especially when we, as you mentioned in the beginning here, we're so extra when we go over Mm. the age of, uh, shall we say, 50. (laughs) (laughs) But it's in that place where we feel weaker, actually, that God can Mm -hmm. use us in amazing ways. I just love those insights. I was thinking as you were talking, Amy, about women I, you know, love and mentor who, whether it's situations, their own choices or things that have happened to them that cause them to feel marginalized. I also work with women overseas and just got back from Africa and Romania. And, you know, that is just a pervasive problem is, is seeing women who feel incredibly marginalized and who truly are in some settings, not just the, 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 uh, you know, the pseudo, oh, I feel marginalized, but they genuinely are. And as you were talking about that, I could, when you were saying, you know, that those, those things drove her, um, I was actually just picturing, as you were saying that, that the very things that make us feel marginalized can actually be the things that motivate us Mm. to get to Jesus. They don't have to be the barriers. Mm. They can be the bridge to get us there. Mm. And what if she hadn't pushed through, her daughter wouldn't have received that healing that was so desperate needed. I do think that's a challenging passage and kudos to you for taking it yeah. on. <laughs> I have never taught that passage and it is difficult, but it, there's so many great truths in there. And it speaks to so many of us who have felt like something in our life became a barrier and, and just kept us from Jesus. He doesn't want anything to keep us from him. Mm-hmm. And um, both of you take us through a journey in chapters 10 and 11 that encourages to love our uniqueness and our personality, even our quirks, our extra, all of those things. <laughs> Sherry, I too love Florence Litauer. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually have a silver box that's engraved and it came from her concept of silver boxes and our words should yeah. be that. And and you even include a personality quiz in the book. So you mentioned anagram and, and the personality. Is there anything either one of you would like to kind of expound on about how we can truly love our uniqueness and our personality? Well, you know, Amy and I have both had very similar experiences of speaking to groups to women. And we know from experience that if we were to ask them to tell each other or make a list of their weaknesses, like if you, they would want extra paper, they would want extra time because they could just go to town and list weakness after weakness after weakness. 
But if we ask a group of women to pause and either make a list or share with a friend one of their greatest God-given strengths, even thinking of one can end up being so incredibly challenging. Like you'll just hear mm. crickets in the room and they'll, they'll squirm uncomfortably and look at each other. And here's the thing. Yes, we've got to learn to manage our weaknesses. And yes, we, we, we trust that God is the one who transforms us into the likeness of his son. I want to say that up front. Mm. But fixating on our weaknesses is not humility. If anything, I think it's a kind of a hidden form of perfectionism, which is actually pride dressed up as a commitment to excellence. Mm -hmm. So what we're finding is that as you learn what you do well and you do it to the glory of God, then celebrating who you are becomes a practice of worship and gratitude. And Denise, like you just said, it is in our weaknesses that God gets all the glory. So he gets the glory in our weaknesses and he gets the glory for the strengths that he's put within us. So true. You know, I remember an interview uh, for a worship leader position, and here comes that question again, right? What, <laughs> What is your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, Lord, I don't know. Because <laughs> if you say this is a strength that's going to come off as prideful, and then you just whisper to my soul, Christ is your strength. Mm-hmm. That's just it. You know, mm-hmm. I have nothing in my own. Anything I have, he's given to me. So, you know, and I just said that. Um, and they, it, the room was like a pin drop, right? But it was really true what God had brought me to that place of there's nothing I could boast in other than my weaknesses, as Paul says. And that's a great place to be in because we don't have to worry about performing anymore. It's like, let's just be real people. <laughs> this is where I'm at apart from Christ. I love the fact that we can encourage each other too. I remember as you were talking, Sherry, a women's conference or something I went on in they, they kind of turned the tables on that concept and had us write down some strengths about someone else in the room. Mm-hmm. And I remember just the faces lighting up. You probably experienced something similar where it was like seeing on paper and reading what someone else saw in them. You know what I mean? Like, why don't we see that sometimes in ourselves? You know what I mean? And, um, and I just, I just think that's so encouraging and I appreciate that. And, um, I was just going to ask you, Amy, you even described loving our quirks. And I was really impacted by your story about Raju and the statement. I'm, I may not be saying his name right. Correct me if mm-hmm. I'm wrong. But Jesus employs the gifts we'd rather hide. And you, you kind of talk about this idea that sometimes we tend to bury the things that maybe we don't even see as strengths in ourselves. And how can women identify a buried trait? I would love to just hear more about that concept that you do bring up in the book. Well, I think that as women, particularly, that we tend to try to bury things that make us different, that make us um, kind of stand out from other people that we'd rather we'd rather be the same or blend in most of the time. I met a man in India that kind of exploded that for me. His name's Raju. And he is, he's a rag picker in India. So he's very, very poor. And when Raju was young, he was orphaned. And so was left on the street to every abuse that we can imagine and most that we don't want to imagine. But inside of him was this burning desire 